Welcome to another lecture in the MSK Cornerstone course. This is a continuation of our sports medicine series. In this section, we will be talking about conditions affecting the patellofemoral joint. Specifically, we will address patella dislocations and their management, along with everyone's favorite, anterior knee pain, also known as patellofemoral syndrome. Alright, let's get started. First, some pertinent anatomy when discussing patella instability. The patellofemoral joint consists of the articulation between the patella and the distal femoral condyles. The undersurface of the patella is made up of a shallow keel and medial and lateral facets. This glides over the trochlear groove made up of the anterior projections of the medial and lateral femoral condyles. The lateral femoral condyle projects farther anteriorly than the medial on sunrise view of the patella. The groove, particularly the lateral femoral condyle slope, acts as the primary constraint to lateral subluxation when the knee gets flexed beyond 30 degrees. In addition to the osseous geometry providing constraint, there are several ligamentous structures that contribute to the patella stability, chief of which is the medial patellofemoral ligament. This structure originates between the medial epicondyle and adductor tubercle and inserts onto the superior medial border of the patella, and it acts as the primary constraint to lateral stress from full extension to 20 degrees of flexion. The dynamic stabilizers of the patellofemoral joint include the vastus medialis and lateralis. All right, so how do patella dislocations present? A good clinical representation of this would be what I like to call the urgent care center knee dislocation. In other words, a 14-year-old female soccer player that twisted her knee during a cutting maneuver two days ago and, quote, felt her knee dislocate. She then gets referred to your office hours as a knee dislocation. And after slowing down your own heart rate and through some further questioning, you come to realize that was in fact her patella that dislocated and reduced on its own on the field. Most times, this will be the mechanism of injury, a non-contact twisting injury. However, in some cases, it can occur from a direct blow to the patella, such as a football helmet. On physical examination, she has a large hemarthrosis and significant tenderness along the medial femoral condyle, particularly at the origin of the medial patellofemoral ligament. Depending on her degree of pain and swelling, you can check for increased patellar glide. On a patellar apprehension test, lateral stress is applied to the patella, and if the patient has a sense of pain or apprehension that she may dislocate, then it is considered positive. Passive patellar translation can be measured to assess the degree of lateral motion, which may be increased with ligamentous laxity. The J sign is also a frequently tested physical exam finding with regard to patellar instability. The patella will lie laterally subluxed when the knee is in an extended position. As the patient flexes their knee, the patella will re-engage in the trochlea and pop back into place, creating a J-shaped motion when observing how the patella tracks. It is also important to assess for ligamentous laxity. What is the name of the scoring system to classify ligamentous laxity? The Baton-Horan scale. And how is that scored? You look for hyperextension at the elbows, hyperextension at the knees. Can the patient touch their thumb to their wrist? Can you hyperextend the MCP joint of the small finger beyond 90 degrees? And can the patient place their palms flat on the floor from a standing position with the knees fully extended? The highest possible score is a 9 out of 9. It is also important to assess the patient's general lower extremity alignment. Because of the direction of the pull of the quadriceps versus the insertion of the patella tendon, there is a laterally directed force vector across the patella. A lot of this information is also transferable to our knee arthroplasty section when we discuss patella tracking. Okay, quick question. How is the Q angle measured? It is aligned from the ASIS to the mid-patella, and then from a midpoint of the patella to the tibial tuberosity. What is considered normal in males and females? 14 and 17 degrees, respectively, plus or minus 3 degrees. Anything that can increase the Q angle will also increase the laterally directed force 
predisposing the patient to a dislocation event. So this brings up the so-called miserable malalignment syndrome. This is increased femoral antiversion, genuvalgum, and external tibial torsion or pronated feet. The combination of these three anatomic variations will act to significantly increase the lateral pull. All right, let's talk about some pertinent imaging studies. On radiographs, analyze the medial patella facet for any fracture. This occurs when the patella reduces. Remember, the medial patella facet. Also, evaluate the AP to look for any varus or valgus alignment. Lateral views are helpful to look for the patella height. Patella alta can also lead to instability because the patella does not appropriately engage in the trochlear groove. What are some measurements we can use to assess the patella height? One, we can draw a line following Blumensatz line and it should intersect with the inferior pole of the patella. Secondly, we can calculate the incel salvati ratio, which is the patella tendon length over the patella length. Normal values are 0.8 to 1.2. Sunrise views of the knee can help you to assess for any lateral patella tilt and measure the lateral patella femoral angle. This is a line across the condyles and a line across the lateral patella facet. The angle should open laterally. CT scans can also be useful to assess for the tibial tuberosity trochlear groove or TT-TG distance. Greater than 20 millimeters is considered abnormal. Finally, an MRI is also useful to look for any loose bodies or medial patellofemoral ligament tears. These tears, when they occur, typically occur directly off the medial femoral condyle. Okay, so how do we treat patella dislocations? A first-time dislocator with no loose bodies can be treated conservatively with physical therapy, quadriceps strengthening, possibly a J-brace which supports patella tracking laterally, and possibly during the acute period if the patient has a large hemorthrosis, they may benefit from a knee aspiration. If there is a loose body, it may need to be taken out or if large enough, fixed back into place. Recurrent instability may require a medial patellofemoral ligament reconstruction. This can be done with either allograft or autograft. The key testable point is finding Schottel's point, which is just anterior to the posterior cortex and just proximal to Blumensatz line. Again, the key testable point is finding Schottel's point, which is just anterior to the posterior cortex and just proximal to Blumensatz line on lateral radiographs or lateral fluoroscopic views in the operating room. Schottel's point is considered the femoral origin of the medial patellofemoral ligament, and finding this location is crucial for a successful reconstruction. If the tibial tubercle trochlear groove distance is greater than 20 millimeters, the medial patellofemoral ligament reconstruction may be done in concert with an anteromedialization of the tuberosity, or in other words, a Fulkerson osteotomy. Patella alta may also be addressed with tibial tubercle distalization. If you see lateral release as a possible answer, know that no one really performs these anymore, so pick this with great caution. Only if a prior medialization procedure has been performed, only if a prior medialization procedure has been performed and there is still lateral patella tilt, would a lateral release possibly be indicated. Something to remember as well is that in kids or those that are skeletally immature, tibial tubercle osteotomy should be avoided as they violate the growth plate. All right, let's move on now to patella compression syndrome. This is caused by a tight lateral retinaculum and presents as anterior knee pain. It is exacerbated by stairs or sitting for long periods of time. On physical exam, they may have a positive patella grind test and an inability to evert the lateral edge of the patella. Sunrise radiographs will show a lateral patellar tilt. This should always be treated conservatively as a first-line treatment, emphasizing vastus medialis obliquus strengthening, or VMO strengthening, via closed-chain quad strengthening. If they fail conservative therapy, a lateral release may be indicated. This is done arthroscopically. 
A key clinical preoperative finding is that the patient have evidence of lateral tilt, a limited medial glide of one quadrant, and lateral glide of three quadrants, and they cannot be unstable. If this is unsuccessful, then a Fulkerson osteotomy may be warranted. And finally, everyone's favorite, idiopathic anterior knee pain, also known as patellofemoral syndrome. This occurs most commonly in young women. It is thought to be caused from damage to the patella cartilaginous surface caused by abnormal tracking and altered contact stresses causing pain. Patellofemoral syndrome is associated with the malignant malignment syndrome, which is femoral antiversion, genuvalgum, and external tibial torsion. As usual, this patient presents with anterior knee pain exacerbated with stairs, prolonged sitting, and kneeling. The patient may exhibit patella maltracking and crepitus in a positive compression test. It is not unusual for the chief complaint to be bilateral. Patellofemoral syndrome is chiefly a clinical diagnosis. However, radiographs should be ordered to assess for any abnormality in patella height or tilt. An MRI could be helpful in a refractory case to show any articular damage to the patellofemoral joint. These patients are managed non-operatively for a minimum of at least one year, if not more. Non-operative modalities include anti-inflammatories, physical therapy focusing on quadricep and hamstring strengthening and stretching, as well as core muscle conditioning. Operative treatments including an arthroscopic lateral release or any patellofemoral debridement should be reserved for a severely refractory case, and you better think twice about picking this on the boards or in training exam. All right, that concludes our talk on patellofemoral issues. Be sure to understand the causes and treatment options for patella instability. And remember, anterior knee pain is non-surgical, basically forever. The next topic will be the final in our sports medicine series addressing the knee. In it, we will cover articular cartilage issues of the knee joint. As always, thanks for listening.